This is the podcast between an old school mentor and a digital mentee on managing and or working with people, navigating a career, growing profits, and not killing your coworkers along the way. Now let's join the consultant, Hayden Shaw, and the millennial who fixes Hayden's iPhone, Seth Tower Heard. This is the consultant and the millennial podcast. My name is Seth Tower Heard. I run a marketing company called Digital Prop Farm. He's Hayden Shaw. He has helped over 30,000 managers with their people and process stuff going on. You can find out more about what he does at uh, peopledrivenresults.com. And my new friend Bob joins us uh, to just pretty much rip away anything you were going to whine about in 2019 would probably be a good way to say that. I'm going to go ahead and set you up here. So for the purpose of this episode, you do technically run, do you call them two separate businesses? So you run an eye care practice and you consult with other eye care doctors, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I have my own private practice uh, in Chicago that I run and also see patients at. And then I have a separate business with a partner and several employees where we consult and help other practices open up their doors cold. Okay. You and I met, I checked out your website because I just thought you were interesting. And if you want to know how to uh, get to be on this podcast, talk to me about boxing and about like genealogy, family history. And eventually I'll just book you because I like you. So that's, that's, (laughs) but you and I followed up via email after meeting. Really the theme here that we want to drive in on is the, the fact that you grew these businesses without bank loans, without whining about the competition, having a bunch more employees, without talking about the market being overcrowded or disrupted. Uh, you just went really old school and did the work. And that's not really a popular or sexy answer in 2018. Like everybody wants a loan. Everybody wants an investor. Uh, everybody wants some sort of like technological whiz bang. That's going to, going to shoot them up to the top. So let's start at the beginning when we're talking about success through, through lack of resources. Like you get out of school, what do you do? So, um, you know, a couple of things uh, that you just uh, stated about, you know, having a lack of resources. Every single one of these graduates um, that we deal with is around 26, 27 years old. Uh, the millennial population has a very high amount of student loan debt, astronomical. Um, the average individual that we consult with has a student loan debt of around two hundred and fifty to $270,000 um, for their total student loans. Um, the great news is, is that in our industry, um, healthcare is fairly low risk. So we actually do use the bank uh, to be able um, to start these projects. The, the problem is, is that they've been taught throughout school on how to see patients and what they need to do to be able to pass national boards, but they get no business advice at all. Uh, the schools feel that that's not their responsibility. So my firm consults with these individuals and lets them know, lets them know it is actually possible to open your doors with no patients and we show them exactly how to do it. We write their business plan. We um, set up their pro forma. We select their equipment, frames, um, teach them how to be profitable uh, from day one. But, but the first part is just kind of convincing them that it's actually a reality, that they don't have to go work for somebody else. If they're an entrepreneur, they can be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Dang. I wish we were having this conversation probably about five years earlier than we are. I'm somebody that did side work for so long before I actually made the jump. And part of that was beneficial because it allowed me to experiment and quite frankly, screw some stuff up and figure out how to get better at things. The other part of me thought I would leave a job, that whole line about, well, you leave when your side gig is bigger than your, um, you know, your day job, as far as the money that's coming in. If you can work five more hours than there are in a week, 
then yeah, that's probably going to happen. It's really hard to work a second quote unquote full-time job and not be terrible at that job and your first job. And what kind of kept me from doing it for so long, like sitting there in stupid corporate meetings, being bored out of my head, thinking I could do better was that I just didn't have enough clients. And how do you ever start a business without clients? And then I eventually got enough where I was kind of halfway there and figured now or never. So you're talking to people that have nothing, roll into town, hang a sign and go for it. You got it. And if you think about it, you know, a lot of the millennials, they, they're used to living on a student type of a budget. So they're eating ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese, and they're living with three other people in a, in a crappy apartment. And so they don't know anything and they try to stretch a buck. So when they go right from school into private practice, um, they have to be on that similar budget. So they never get a taste of what it's like to make six figures plus. They never take out those giant home loans or the car loans or things that they've always wanted. So that's when we love to be able to get them when they don't know the difference between living poor and being able to just live more on a budget. So it works out pretty well. Bob, that makes sense because, you know, you got to get them before too many years of ramen noodles leads to scurvy and bone density loss. And so that makes sense. There's only a narrow window when you can get them. Yeah, it's a lot easier for them to fall into that trap of long-term corporate employment where, you know, they're, they're not building equity in anything that they own and uh, they're working for the man for an extended period of time. And, and unfortunately, a lot of that requires weekend hours or late night hours and they don't have control of their destiny. Yeah. You know, and this is not something that's going to apply to everybody, but it's going to apply to probably more people that are comfortable with hearing my statement. I have had so many people tell me, man, I would love to be doing what you're doing. I'd love to go out on my own. And honestly, the two things usually are in their way. Number one, they're married to someone who's very risk averse, um, which I, uh, you know, not everybody, not every marriage is built for entrepreneurship. And number two, they just cannot see themselves through the short-term pain of just scaling back on the amount of crap they buy to actually go for it. Uh, You know, because even with, you know, even with kids and stuff like that, like you, most of us in America in a non-recession year, don't have like way more crap. Like most of us honestly are probably spending somewhere between three and $700 a year on online subscriptions. We forgot about, I believe that's the, that's the, uh, the metric, right? So if we're in that kind of climate and we're probably going into recession next year, but still, if we're in that kind of climate, there's a lot more wiggle room than you actually like need. Now let's actually get into how to start a business on nothing here. So Obviously, you said this is pretty risk averse. You can get bank loans. Where do you get a customer at? So in our case, um, our customers find us. We have literally done uh, zero advertising. Um, my community is pretty small. In terms of the amount of people that Hayden has helped uh, in his career, that's actually the number of how many current optometrists exist in the United States. So um, <laughs> there's, there's not, a lot out of, not a lot of us out there. Yeah, there um, are three of them that didn't want to talk to me, Bob. Priya <laughs> Thomas just told me that they, they they wouldn't see me. Oh, why is that? <laughs> I'm joking, Seth. Oh, <laughs> since he said there is the same number as the people I've helped, I just was making a joke that there were three optometrists I couldn't help. But <laughs> okay, I get the density award for for this episode. <laughs> no, I, I get the density award for uh, most obtuse reference to ophthalmology in a in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so you guys have got the benefit of everybody knows they just definitely need help. When you're training somebody to open a business with nothing, 
do they go out and network? Is it, you know, is it a narrow enough field that people just need glasses and they're going to, they're going to go find glasses because whatever the answer is, there's something universally larger here and that it's very easy to get stuck in whatever kind of job you're at looking two rungs up the ladder and saying, if we only had blank, if we only had that budget, if we only had that employees, if we only had that product, then we would win. Well, all of us who have changed jobs a couple times in our lives know that more budget, more employees often just means more complexity. And you're not necessarily going to win with a hundred employees and $10 million as opposed to, you know, 10 employees and a hundred thousand dollars. It really has to do with the strength of the team. So yeah, one thing we'd like impressed upon our clients is, is, you know, this is a, this is hard work. I mean, this is not something where you just hang your shingle and just people line up at the door and are, are banging down the door to get their first pair of contacts or glasses. Um, you really have to network. You have to get out in the community. You have to be part of local business organizations. You have to be part of local uh, community or spiritual um, organizations. You have to hit the pavement. You got to network with other other doctors and specialists. Uh, most of our particular clients that we work with are highly trained. Um, we treat a lot of eye disease, and so it's important to network with other doctors and to be able to participate in school events or ball teams or things like that. So we actually have them get out there and get in front of people and meet face to face, kind of the old fashioned way, instead of just blasting Facebook ads and expecting people to just come flying in the door. So we, we tell them, listen, you're gonna have to work a side job. This is gonna be a full-time gig. And if you're not ready for that, then we're not the firm for you because you're going to need to work hard to make your dream happen. There's a certain amount of humility there too, that, uh, that you would have the word doctor in front of your name and need a part-time job to get going when you could go make more money. Um, Hayden, you and I kind of talk to different kinds of people, but I'm in digital marketing and I often think that companies are too dependent on the idea of digital marketing, which should enhance, not replace old school business where you actually talk to other human beings? The, uh, the leading researcher on sales effectiveness has discovered that the single best predictor of whether or not a salesperson will, will be successful, will hit their goals, is how many face-to-face -face visits they have. Now, um, the world's changing. People use uh, email more often and those kinds of things. But the bottom line is human beings talking to human beings is how things have always been done. And so far, there's no change in that. And, um, um, you know, it, it, it may be on a Zoom call um, or, uh, and, you know, I, I was working with some financial advisors, similar kind of thing, getting started. And I said, hey, if you've got a, if you've got a younger target group and they got little kids and they don't have the same, you know, hour and a half, two hours you're used to having, send them coffee by uh, Uber Eats and um, have coffee with them while you're doing it over, uh, over electronics. But the point of it is, it's that conversation that still makes the world go round for um, most people. And especially when you're getting started, and especially in a smaller community, um, you don't, you're, you're done. They, the people have to tell somebody else, Hey, I went to them and it was okay before you have anything but um, one at a time success. And um, you have to be vetted by people who are in the community that influence. And that's just how small towns start new businesses. Um, who's going to vet you? And you got to get in front of enough people who can vet you. And um, um, people who need people, Seth, are still the only working people in the world. That's that's a really bad paraphrase of 
of a really old song. <laughs> I, which I didn't refer. I don't. That's all right. It's okay. You don't. You don't get old cultural references from uh, the '60s, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Millennial. By the way, when uh, when Bob and I met, I said the podcast was called "The Consultant and the Millennial" and explained it. And he asked me how old I was. I was like 36. So technically, I'm like the first year, right? He's like, "You sure you don't want to round up?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> consultant and the general." Yeah, Barbara Streisand, funny girl. Just back off. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna let me before we move on. Let me do just a tiny little rant here uh, because I've seen companies at all sizes do this. Oh, I thought you were gonna rant on Barbara Streisand, yeah, it's, which is fine with me, but I, I just thought it was gonna be off topic. So good, just rant no. There, about. there are some topics, Hayden. I have just no thoughts on. I don't have enough pieces of information in my brain to say anything except about Barbara Streisand, except that I know that she is a singer and that she's blonde. I mean, that's that's truly all I got. I just don't really know who she is, man. Um, but back to the digital marketing thing versus having to see people face to face. Okay. I, Cause I meet with so many businesses. They're like, well, it's your job. You get people to spend money with me. And I'm like, you are the dang business. So do I get people that cold call out of nowhere because of the podcast sign up for, uh, you know, the videos that I put out or something like that because they hear us on here. Absolutely. Do they ever go from that to giving me a check to do something without this? They don't. And so, you know, that whole idea of like, yo, you got to, Hayden, you and I have been having this conversation. You got to, you know, focus on your strengths, farm out your weaknesses in business, whether you're an entrepreneur or a manager or whatever. Right. Now, there's some things you eventually need to be able to hand off, but you, if you're managing a department, you better be able to do the basics of everything there. I don't care if you're a salesperson or not. I don't care if you're introverted, extroverted, whatever. You better go shake people's hands or go shake somebody's hand in a job interview because it's just not for you. And that's okay. Like, it's okay to say, not into this. Bob's sitting over there being like, they're going to come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, man, I wanted to rant. Bob, you got any rants in you here? <laughs> I don't have a rant, but I wanted to piggyback off of something you said earlier. I mean, face-to-face -face interaction is so important in our business, especially as you were talking about in like a small town, a community. And in Chicago, where we've got quite a few practices in major cities like Dallas and Southern California, um, permitting takes forever. So when we're building out these practices, it takes months. And we have got a client in small town, Michigan, and uh, she got it in about a week. And I'm like, what What did you do to get the permit in a week? And she goes, well, I, I just baked the mayor some cookies. <laughs> so she was able to get the per permit and she was off to go. <laughs> <laughs> we love those. You know, I wonder if eyeglass sugar cookies wouldn't really... Um, be a nice, a nice uh, thing. introduction piece. <laughs> let's, let's go a little bit different direction here. Uh, because again, I think the theme is we're kind of pulling away the excuses you have not to grow in 2019. Doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit, family business corporation, whatever. So Bob, if you can change hats here for a minute. So you do, uh, you do have a business business. You're not just teaching people to do this. You're, you know, also operating in a pretty different environment in a pretty, I would say pretty cutthroat environment, right? Uh, everything in Chicago is uh, really competitive. Uh, and as more people move kind of back into city centers, uh, there's, there's more demand for, you know, what you're doing. So you can expect more competition in the very near future. What's the difference there? Is it still old school going out and shaking hands, even if there's, you know, 3 million people in, sh in the city proper? Or, or what is the difference there? You know, 
for me, it's about following the mission. I mean, one of the first things that we tell our clients to do, which somebody told me when I was in school as well, before you start a business, you need to write a mission statement. And, and I honestly laughed at him at the bar we were sitting at because I, I just, I thought there were so many other things that were so much more important. And you break it all down, it really just does come back to the mission. And so um, when we set out in our business, we wrote a mission statement and decided this is what we were going to focus on. And everything we do is around making the customer or the patient have a five-star experience from um, providing them with, you know, coffee um, when they walk in the door or water or some type of a spritzer, cappuccino, whatever. Um, we want to make sure that they're comfortable in the environment and make sure that it's about the relationship, not about the retail environment that we operate in. So the customer is always first or the patient is always first and they're always gonna remember the experience when they walk in to when they leave of how friendly the person was at the front desk if somebody held the door for them when they left. And so in our case, as long as we're focused on the mission and making sure that the patient's happy, uh, that's how we continue to thrive and grow in, in 2019. I got a question, Seth. When it comes to kind of the overall theme here is taking away your excuses. What are the biggest excuses you hear from your new um, docs, as well as uh, that you hear from people who have been established longer, who are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I'm kind of stalled. What are, what are the excuses you hear? Because I'm sure there'll be excuses that uh, most um, people have said either in their small business or in their jobs. What are, what are some of the biggest excuses you run into? The number one excuse we hear, and it all revolves around the same topic, is, well, my practice doesn't operate like that, or my business isn't like that. You don't understand. I, mine is different. And well, that's right. I, I like to give sucky customer experiences. Um, <laughs> I just want to focus on what I want to do and be in a really bad mood. And because I'm the doctor and I can do that because that's what I grew up with. I mean, I, you, know, you don't understand my practice. I, I, there's no way I'm going to rub the feet of all these patients that come in. Um, how close am I? That's <laughs> exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be a doctor. I went into this for the science and the money. And, uh, um, but other than that, I'm wondering why I'm not growing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's talk about price for a second here, um, because I, I I knew at some point I really wanted to throw Warby Parker under the bus, uh, because it's got to be one of the top. Uh, I'll go top ten, just to be conservative. Top ten worst customer experience, service experiences I've ever had. If you're not familiar with Warby Parker, they're very in right now in a lot of cities. Um, they're pretty cheap and it's also very assembly line. Like they run you through your eye exam really fast. There's a huge crowd which whatever, I mean, that, that happens if you're, you know, in Chicago or whatever, you, there's often a huge crowd. What was very off-putting to me was that I actually asked the um, salesperson after the optometrist examined me to adjust my old pair of glasses just for deer hunting because I didn't want to scratch my new glasses out in the woods. And this guy got really up, like very clearly, like visibly like, oh, and made my wife and I sit there and wait until he'd worked with all of his other customers. And uh, he clearly was a person that had, uh, issue with meat eating or hunting or something like that. Uh, and it was just completely awful to us the whole time. So when I look at like, what do I want to do next time? A lot of people think they can't win if they can't get to the absolute, you know, scrape the bottom of the barrel price. Um, you know, unless I'm physically starving, it's pretty hard for me to want to go back in there where somebody's going to demean me. So, you know, I, I'm guessing that in the city as large as Chicago, you get, you can't get down to the lowest price, right? So, correct. 
how have you approached that? This is a great topic because I just got interviewed by the Chicago Tribune a couple of weeks ago about this exact same thing. And, and there is a very large difference that people need to understand between, you know, purchasing a medical device online and being able to go in and get custom fitted for it in the store. Um, you know, we provide a unique customer experience with unique lens products that are going to give the patient a lot more of a quality enhanced version of their vision than they would get from something that's being imported from overseas that they maybe can see out of the middle of the glasses, but when they turn to the side, it's almost like a fishbowl effect. And so there's a definite difference in the quality, otherwise they couldn't charge that price. So um, people come to me for the, the customer service experience and for what I can provide. Um, it's not a race to the bottom for our doctors. Um, it's about, again, those relationships. And that online purchasing relationship is just not the same as being with somebody face-to-face -face and getting everything customized to you. Now, your example of, of Warby Parker Frame coming into my office, it's about customer service. So if somebody wants to come in and get them adjusted, I, by all means, am happy to do it for them and pour them a cup of coffee while I do it. And then educate them on why in the future they may want some additional things for, like, say, blue light protection for looking on the computer or some things that maybe they can't provide um, in an online service. And so it gives me an opportunity to educate the individual. And I use that as an internal marketing tool rather than lose the opportunity and have the patient walk out the door. Yeah. And that, that would be, you know, um, let's go back to the conversation about in-person or social. Uh, what everybody, what, what you really need to get done is knowledge or expert marketing, you know. So what are people trying to do on social media if they're not buying ads? Um, Bob, do your earlier comment about, can I just buy enough Facebook ads that I can start a business? Um, you're, you're gonna be a knowledge marketer or an expert marketer. Well, what better opportunity to have eyeballs, I mean, literally eyeballs, than to help somebody and then be a knowledge marketer while you help them. Um, it doesn't feel like you're, 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 it is the ultimate in social knowledge expert marketing because you're being social, you're drinking coffee and you're providing expertise. And so um, it, it's what social ought to lead to, but most people um, are hoping that the law of large numbers on social media are gonna overcome things, but especially in a smaller market. I think this can be an encouraging podcast for people in a smaller market who don't have the same kind of scale. Uh, you know, the law of large numbers. Um, that's, that's the ultimate knowledge marketing is to just not suck when it comes to being helpful to people. <laughs> yeah, let me throw something else on there, Hayden. And again, I probably have gotten more kind of quote unquote cold leads than most people because of the, you know, the stuff I'm doing online. That is my, my business. And there's been a few that just like, you know, they just call me. That's fine. And that's awesome. But the world is small enough that usually, even if I'm having a conversation with a total stranger, they've been able to talk to somebody that knows me or has done work with the company. What's so interesting about social media is you can see the connections to the person that you're going to contact. Uh, and so, you know, where you could have been more anonymous in the 1990s in, you know, 2018, they can hop on Facebook, hop on, hop on LinkedIn and realize that you have three mutual contacts and they can get a quick rundown on you um, before they're ever in the meeting. I recommend trying to do that, you know, always anyway. Uh, and so th this whole reputation thing, the fact that you'll actually adjust somebody's glasses and not try to squeeze $15 out of them, pour them a cup of coffee and talk to them. 
like that stuff does catch up. Like, I mean, is one incident like that going to build you a great reputation in a major metropolitan market or in your industry? No, but is showing up and doing the work for two or four years, whether it's, you know, <clears throat> manufacturing or, you know, customer service or hospitality or whatever, like those stories are going to get out there. And it's not just your Yelp reviews, the stuff that human beings actually just say to each other without putting on the internet still has a tremendous amount of weight. Great. And the other thing, too, is it's important, I think, to be honest with them as well. So, I mean, I think Warby Parker is actually a great industry disruptor um, and does provide value for some individuals. I mean, I'm very honest with them. I don't come in and say, you can absolutely not purchase these online. I say, you know what, you're wearing your contact lenses every day for 16 hours. By all means, if you need a pair of glasses to get to the bathroom, to the bedroom, or to get out of the house in a fire, then by all means, go ahead and save some money and then buy a pair. Um, you know, I think that you can really kind of poison the person's mind if you go ahead and just be against technology and be against all the innovation that is out there. And so it's important to our clients just to be honest with them and let them know the value and the quality that you provide, but also maybe the value that they can provide. And I think they just appreciate that honesty. Yeah, I, I, I really I think that is the best way to handle competition. Now, Bob, I was smiling because um, you did leave Warby Parker a rather narrow circle of clients. <laughs> if you just want to get out of the house in a fire, I'd say buy them there. The, um, that was, I, I, I probably will smile at that for the next week. Yep, you know, <laughs> if I, next time I see a fire online, I'll be like, hopefully they didn't spend too much for their glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, but, but the idea of knocking the competition, and that's a really a rookie mistake, isn't it? The consultant, the millennial theme here, if you're younger to business. Yeah, I want to tell you all the reasons why. Yeah, what, did you get that out of a book? No, here, here's, here's who that would be helpful for. And by the way, here's what some things that they can't provide that you might need. And most of the time people are like, I wish I would have had that. And so, um, you're, uh, yeah, you're creating long-term customer relationships. All right, Bob, give me a three things that you think are absolutely critical to be able to grow without spending a lot of money. I, what I've heard so far is uh, you got to be willing to work hard. May mean living a little cheap to Seth's point. A lot of people just don't want to live on what they'd have to live on. Um, thirdly, you, you, know, you, you got to go meet people and you got to, you, you have to build a network of people who know you and can work with you. Um, what are some what are some other key things that people in your practice, um, your your clients, as well as anybody, would have to do this upcoming year to grow? You know, I think uh, I, w I would love to just pass my clients along to you for uh, some of that advice because a lot of our um, things that you just mentioned is really what we try to drill into them um, because that face to face marketing. Um, really doesn't cost uh, them any money. But I think the most important thing is, you talked a little bit earlier, is about the internal marketing and capturing the individual that's there. And you could really do this in any business. Um, so when you're checking a patient out, or my industry, or just checking someone out um, in any industry at all, and say, if there's anything else we can do for you or your family, please let us know. Um, would you like to make an appointment um, for the others? I see that there's four other people with insurance on your form here. Would you like us to make an appointment for them? Or here is a gift card. I would like for you to be able um, to refer us and another client 
um, down the road. And then in turn, I'm going to credit your accounts with this certain amount of money. So internal marketing is so inexpensive and you already have an individual there that needs your product and they most likely know other individuals that need your product. And so that's the cheapest way to be able to grow your business is with the people that are right in front of you. Makes complete sense. Hey, let me add two more things to that, Bob. Here's what a lot of research shows. Um, the first one is, we all know it from our own experience. Um, the people who are successful out of the gates in a service industry, and especially in a medical uh, provider industry, it is the bedside manner that is one of the key determinants. I think you, you wrapped it up within the, the label of customer service, but can you make eye contact? Can you carry on a conversation? Can you remember enough details about people that they would actually pass that on? And then can you look at a person in the eye and say, here's some other things that would help you and who else can we help? If you can't make eye contact, smile, and have the kind of rapport that allows you to say, uh, would you like to set an appointment for anyone else in your family? And um, here's something that uh, please pass that on to somebody else and we'll make sure to take care of you. Um, those kinds of things are the kinds of things that lead people to say, oh, I, yeah, I guess, you know, I, yeah, huh. And then they're at work and somebody says, ah, these glasses, you know who I would go to and you've made the impact there. The uh, doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt to be local, doesn't hurt to like boxing, doesn't hurt to have some other things that, that, may, that build rapport with certain people, um, or you know, doesn't hurt to hunt if you're gonna adjust cess glasses for hunting. So if you're offended by people who shoot Bambi, then you, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not gonna have a lot of rapport building skills. But the uh, um, bottom line is, if you can just take a little additional time and connect with people, that's a growth engine in most practices. Yeah. Uh, let me let me add one more thing as we're kind of landing the plane here. Okay. By the way, if you're watching the video, I'm in an unusual location because of some things today. I wound up popping into a friend's house because I couldn't get back to my office to record this. And I just realized where I sat down on the video, I've been under the mistletoe the whole time. And uh, <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> I feel strange. Yep, I wasn't going to mention it. I'm not going to kiss you. <laughs> you know, one of the things I did this week that I think a lot of people overlook is just one of the best indirect mar pieces of marketing you can do is just connect other people who need each other's resources. So I, I hung out with a friend I hadn't seen in about 10 years on Tuesday and he said that they were struggling as a company to figure out what CRM they're going to use customer uh, relationship manager. It's a pretty uh, massive investment a lot of times. And I just said, he's in a nonprofit. And I said, you know, I know a guy over at university of Chicago that I know uses one. Let me just introduce you guys over email. I did it right after he left. I just sat there, did it on my phone. It took, it took me three minutes. Um, but I would actually argue that that's indirect marketing because one way or another, that conversation eventually will come back up. I don't sell CRMs. I'm not technically an IT person, uh, but I just created two individuals having a positive interaction with each other and creating value. Uh, and, you know, one of them's happy to help because it's somebody that's also in a nonprofit and the other one needs to find out how to save hopefully tens of thousands of dollars and get it right. Uh, and so when, you know, we're not just talking about rural. We're not just talking about urban or suburban or whatever. 
taking the dang time to have those conversations. Cause I think that when you get in larger organizations and you're running around at conferences and trying to get people to sign up your email list or whatever, oftentimes the best, most valuable work is just standing there in the lobby and you run right past it. Cause you won't have a conversation. Bob, give us one more. I mean, I, I love it for I young cut you, people. I cut you off when you were two in. Give us one more. Oh. <laughs> hey, my, my other one, just kind of to piggyback, piggyback off of what Seth was saying is, so, you know, in my practice, my conversations with individual patients really revolve around what they do for a living, what their hobbies are, how they use their eyes, what their kids do, what are they doing, spending most of their time with. And I take a personal interest, and then I write that down. And so I'm able to talk about that when I see them at the grocery store locally. I'm able to talk about it when I see them next year. And they're like, Mike, God, you have a tremendous memory. And, you know, at least I'm able to kind of draw on some of those experiences. And that just kind of deepens that connection. But one of the things that Seth was just talking about here that I tell young people all the time is most of the work at conventions gets done at the bar. I mean, it's important to interact with individuals at the bar in a social setting where they let their guard down and they're able to talk to you freely give advice. A lot of times they have name tags on to tell you what town they're from that you could relate to. Maybe there's a future job opportunity in there somewhere. So sometimes, you know, that, that class may be important that you're sitting in, but get out there and socialize. And I think that is going to help you grow not only maybe in a future career um, opportunity, um, but maybe a connection like Seth was saying earlier. Hey, let me just throw one more piece on there, uh, Bob, because I love that. One thing I do that's really simple that anyone with a phone can do, uh, when you said that people, you, people are impressed, you remember them a year later, one way to boost your retention there is I just kind of keep a very long running list. So if I meet somebody at the gym, I write down, uh, you know, Shane uh, and what we talk about. So just Shane, Jim, two kids, white BMW you know, one kid's in swimming, one kid's in judo, judo, whatever. And just the fact that I wrote it down makes it more likely I can remember. And then if I run into Shane in the locker room the next time, maybe I can't pull that up that time. But the third time I see him, I know I can go back, check my notes and be prepared. And I can be like, Hey, how's, you know, how's the swimming season going? That kind of stuff makes all the difference in the world. Uh, and, uh, again, this is something when we we're talking about no resources, um, writing things down and being nice and considerate really does not take any resources. I don't care how big your company is. Uh, if you're not doing it, it's just because you got lazy and you rock back on your heels. Great, um, great point. Yeah. Bobby, you want to just kind of, you know, promo yourself right here. Uh, you know, probably a mind, we, we could have a definitely an extreme minority of people that are in eye care health, but let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. And then, you know, this thing is uh, nationwide, but it, if you just want to tell us about how to get glasses too, because I'm definitely more interested in doing that. Than, yeah, but Bob, where are you located? Uh, yeah. Do you just sure. tell us about both the businesses? Yeah, sure. So I own solo eye care and I wear gallery. Um, we're located in the South loop in Chicago. Chicago at 1444 South Michigan Avenue. You can find us uh, online at uh, www.soloeyecare.com. Uh, we specialize in high-end uh, eyewear, but, but also um, people that need specific contact lenses for diseases like keratoconus or dry eyes or um, very complicated prescriptions. Um, and then my consulting business is called Eye Care Advisors, and uh, that's the letter I and then careadvisors.com and we are now in 27 different states we just added idaho a couple weeks ago i thought that one was going to take a while but um have over 100 of these clients now um and we absolutely love working with them we we do everything from soup to nuts to find their location 
writing their business plan, selecting everything that they need in terms of their equipment, and then um, make sure that they are set up for long-lasting profitability. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We don't charge um, for consultations while um, individuals are in school, and we're always just here to help. So I appreciate you guys having me on, though. This was a lot of fun. Hey, and so if you're a listener and, uh, you know, you can see from the decorations behind Bob, it is the Yuletide season. Uh, <laughs> and so if you, uh, you know, if you know a student, um, an eye care student or somebody struggling, the uh, be- maybe the best Christmas present, Hanukkah present you can give them is a, uh, is a reference to Bob so that they have a long-term success. There are, I've worked with some folks who do the equivalent thing on the dental side. Um, more expensive uh, and more extensively than I care and it is it is the difference maker for a shaving um, seven to ten years off of what it takes to get to the same place in success and uh, it really could be for somebody who's helping other people see better um, could be the best gift you could give them so um, send folks his way if you know if you know an eye care person plus he might even have a gift card that he would give you for the referral <laughs> um, hey, Bob, I, I actually, my mom's had a lot of complicated prescriptions, so I'm going to send her in. If you could actually f- formulate a prescription that helps her use her iPhone more without having to call me all the time, um, that I, I don't even know what I would help kick in for that. That, that would be the most valuable pair of glasses in the world. You seem to be pretty innovative. All right, <laughs> let's wrap this thing. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and in the uh, show notes, in the video description, we'll put the link to Bob. Yeah, I just want to stop and say that it's said like a true millennial, that you have completely earned the consultant and the millennial <laughs> on that one. You have a pair of eyeglasses that would have old people like Hayden not have to ask questions. Yeah, I like those eyeglasses too, but Merry Christmas and you suck, Seth. I just want to end the year with that. He's Hayden Shaw. <laughs> PeopleDrivenResults.com is his website. You can hop over there. You can muddle through just years of pain in management and process crap, and you can lose employees, and you can spend about $60,000 on average uh, getting uh, the recruitment process going to get some other talent in the door, or you can just hang on to the good people you got and recruit better people and stop losing money on stupid process and change management stuff. PeopleDrivenResults.com. Um, Bob has uh, been fantastic. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I will are you sitting in front of your TV, by the way? Oh, there's a TV in the back, fireplace and TV. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than, uh, promoing my own business just as we close out. I, I just w- wanted to let you know and let the audience know that my wife and I are definitely available for the uh, Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder uh, rematch if you needed uh, to not have your viewing party be awkward because there wasn't enough people there. I'm actually going to use no that as my close. Hey, consider, consider yourself invited. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity.